You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and each week we come to you on the Doctor's Lounge with the information that you need to fight for your health care freedom and advocate for yourself regarding health care matters. Our show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led health care think tank in the country. Um, our foundation stands for the uh, doctor-patient relationship and health care freedom for all Americans. Um, we are doing great work, we believe, including this radio show. So please go to our website, support us. We can't do this without you. It, that would be triple W. D4, number 4, pcfoundation.org. That's D4, pcfoundation.org. And please help to uh, keep this show and all of our other work going. I'm going to uh, get into this real quick because our guest this morning will be with us for just uh, half the show for two segments, and we've got a lot of ground to cover. We uh, are we have with us this morning a good friend of Docs for Patient Care in this radio show, Betsy McCoy, who is a former lieutenant governor of the state of New York and a New York Times bestselling author. Um, she's written uh, Beating Obamacare and the sequel, Beating Obamacare 2014. She's a syndicated columnist in the New York Post and uh, it writes about all things health care and is uh, a frequent uh, guest on many uh, of the cable news shows. So, uh, Betsy, welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. Oh, it is such an honor to be on this show because it is an enormous public service. Well, we we really appreciate you saying that. We we try to um, you know just break down the issues in healthcare for people because this is such a complex matter. It is complex, and yet, as we're about to discuss, some of the issues really uh, are so simple. When you go to see the doctor, you want eye contact. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> is that a lot to expect that the doctor and the patient can look each other in the eye and? exchange information <laughs> isn't that isn't that people's biggest uh, complaint right now about going to the doctor aside from deductibles yes <laughs> the biggest complaint is I went to see my doctor I waited a long time to get this appointment um, I've known my doctor for years and suddenly he won't look up from the he or she won't look up from the computer screen to even talk to me the doctor is so busy checking the little boxes and following the prompts but don't blame the doctor. Who should we blame? Well, how about blame the 2009 High Tech Act, right? Yes. Passed, in this case, by the Obama administration, but not to get partisan. MACRA, uh, which was passed in 2015, repeated all the same mistakes. So blame the federal government and lawmakers who seem to think that Washington knows best regulations can tell doctors how to practice medicine. And MACRA, just for everybody's um, uh, benefit who who has not been a regular listener on this show, is, is the um, law that was responsible for repealing what was um, termed the doc fix, which is the, uh, which was part of the balanced budget um, requirement from 1997 to hold down Medicare spending, but 
that was a Trojan horse because what it really did was it repl- it created a whole set of rules which were, as I like to call it, the teeth of Obamacare. That's right. And what it imposes is cookie-cutter medicine. Every, every, every physician has to ask patients the same questions, right, in the same order. And no matter what the patient came in for, those questions have to be asked. Those boxes have to be checked. And so the precious few minutes you have with your doctor are taken up with all this rigmarole. And even if the same questions were asked a week before, and this is a follow-up visit, instead of getting to the heart of the matter. So high-tech, just for everybody's um, information, was not part of Obamacare, right? Oh, no, it came a year before. It was part of the stimulus bill, one of the first pieces of legislation introduced under the Obama administration. And it, it said that over a period of years, almost all clinicians, would ha- doctors, would have to install electronic medical record hardware in their offices, and they would have to use them meaningfully. Here's the word. Here's the catch, Hal. This is the phrase that appears in the law, meaningful use. And doctors who don't use that machinery meaningfully, right, will eventually get dinged with very hefty penalties. In other words, when they submit billing under Medicare or Medicaid, they're going to get paid less than other doctors because they're not meaningful users of this hardware. So what does meaningful use mean? Well, uh, it means computers telling doctors what to do. Those doctors have to follow the prompts, the, what, what, what Washington calls clinical decision support. The idea is, can you imagine that these regulators in Washington are going to decide the best protocols, the best way to treat each thing, the best, the best ratios of, of uh, the number of phys- patients who have a particular ailment and the percentage of them who should get a particular medication or a particular treatment. And all of this comes down on the doctor's shoulders. The doctor has to fill out all these ratios, all these boxes, all these reports, and that will determine how the doctor is reimbursed by the federal government. But who's the big loser? The patient. <laughs> the patients are always the losers. In, right. The in patients this. are lost in this. And and if you're a patient who's not typical, if you have an atypical set of, of uh, comorbidities or health care problems, you're not going to get what you need here. Let me let me tell you two uh, share with you two other ways that the patients are losers. The first is that there's one provision in in the macro law, the one that you just wrote about in your um, uh, wonderful New York Post uh, um, column, that um, there's going to be a requirement as this progresses for doctors to have to open up their electronic medical records and provide the federal government real-time information about the, the, the patient's health care data, even those that are not on Medicare. And that's... Now, goodbye to patient privacy. Well, that's exactly right. That's number one. The second one, which is even scarier, and this is happening more and more around the country, is that, you know, we're talking about, um, in, in most cases, doctors that are... 
um, two-person practices, three-person practices, often solo practices. They don't have the infrastructure like a, a giant hospital system. Which oh, right, is- the thousands of dollars needed for the equipment, and more than that, the backup you need to spend all that time filling out reports for the federal government instead of taking care of your patient. Exactly. You need a big staff out there in the front office. Exactly. Uh, well, and this gets to the good news, because we do have some good news on this show. Oh, good. And the good <laughs> news is that the Trump administration, as part of its very broad deregulation revolution, on June 30th, the Trump administration proposed exempting nearly two-thirds of physicians from these requirements beginning in 2018. And, and, and those requirements... This is a proposed rule. Mm-hmm. It's been posted. I invite people to go to uh, uh, the Federal Register and find out how to submit their opinions, because you know how rule changes go. You have to submit opinions, and then the noisiest voices get heard. But the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Tom Price, and the President want to lift this tremendous burden off the shoulders of doctors and their patients, and and uh, uh, I think we've got a real shot here. Well, I, I agree. I wanted to just, and I, I'm going to circle back to that point in a second, but the, the thing that really is the scariest part about all of this electronic medical records that I was um, uh, getting to is that the big hospitals, and this is one of their points for trying to transition all healthcare into the hospitals, which is another conversation that we a can bad have. idea. Bad idea, but <laughs> but but the the um, the the small practices don't have the the firewalls in place to prevent um, corruption, hacking, um, uh, stealing of data, and we've seen this happen time and time again, even with big hospital systems, where you get these these um, these internet pirates who come in and they um, they uh, shut down a system and they hold it for ransom and if they don't get it then those they either threaten to wipe out the health care records or not release them can you imagine not being able to get your health care records because your your hospital or your doctor was was incapable of preventing a hack that's just ridiculous it's terrifying it is terrifying, it's terrifying. but the the fact is, there is regulatory relief ahead, and at least next year or the year after, when you go to see the doctor, your doctor will be free to stop all this attention to the computer screen and actually listen to you. Okay, so so you and I had an off-air um, converse, uh, couple-of-minute conversation that you are optimistic about what's going to happen in Washington while I'm on the pessimistic side. So tell me, tell me what you you think uh, we're we're uh, uh, apt to see. Well, let's back up a little. I do. I, I'm very optimistic, and I'll get to why. But let's back up a little for the uh, listener who may be less than expert at all, everything in Obamacare. Okay. And I say, look at this big bill. It's right here on my desk. It's really two laws glued together. There's the Medicaid expansion. That's where most people who were uninsured got coverage through a vast expansion of Medicaid. That urgently needs to be uh, modified, reformed, because 
Medicaid is expanding so quickly it's threatening to drown the nation in red ink. But there are at least six senators who are opposed to repealing that part of the bill because Obamacare advocates and the Democratic Party are running vicious TV ads in their districts falsely claiming that if Medicaid is changed, seniors will be thrown out of nursing homes, children will die in their mother's arms. And so those six senators are so cowed by these television ads and the noisy protests outside their local offices that they refuse to vote for any change in that part of Obamacare. So let's say that 1,500 pages has to stay. But the other side of Obamacare is the federal takeover of the commercial insurance market, the individual and small group market. And that's where the individual mandate that forces you to buy coverage or pay a penalty is, the job-killing employer mandate. And so in the Senate now is a bill affectionately termed the skinny bill. Okay. Being skinny so in style. <laughs> so the skinny bill repeals the individual mandate. That's going to offer urgent relief to 12 million, uh, well, actually counting all of them, about 18 million people in the individual market, many of whom don't want to buy those unaffordable plans, but they're otherwise they're going to be get clobbered with a government penalty, right? Yes. And then there are about 8 million people who are getting clobbered with that penalty because they refuse to buy those unaffordable plans. So this skinny repeal will offer relief for them. It will also repeal the job-killing employer mandate. So hundreds of thousands of people who were demoted to part-time status on their jobs down below 30 hours and are trying to cobble together a livelihood by working two or three of those jobs, they may get their full-time hours back because that repealing that employer mandate is actually going to result in more people getting on the job coverage and more people having full-time jobs. Got it. So well, we're at a hard in the absence of the votes uh-huh. for a full repeal, this is what they're doing. Okay. Well, we're going we're gonna, to um, uh, just finish that thought in the next segment of the Dr. Slam, so stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you.
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're back in the Doctor's Lounge. Uh, this is your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, with my guest, Betsy McCoy, a syndicated columnist, healthcare expert. Um, and we were talking about um, the, the two parts of, uh, of what Obamacare is, which is the Medicaid um, expansion and the, the uh, uh, takeover or the destruction of the insurance industry. Betsy, isn't there a third part, really, three bills in, in, in Obamacare? The third one is the regulatory burden, not just on uh, the insurance market, but on health care itself. Oh, absolutely. And none of that is going to be touched, unfortunately, in the skinny bill. But picture... Picture, remember when we were all in high school, Hal, and we had gym and they had these relay races. We're, we're, the third runner has just grabbed the baton, right? <laughs> and <laughs> once we get through the Senate with whatever bill that has the word repeal in it, right, mm-hmm. then the baton is handed to the House and Senate conference. That's the fourth leg of this race. They will cobble together a bill that they can get votes for and deliver it to the president's desk. Now, it's not going to have everything in it you and I want. We want total repeal. But it will get the job done for now, and that's important because we're on a runway and there's a big jumbo jet behind us called tax relief. <laughs> and we've got to clear the runway mm-hmm. for that yeah. big baby to get down the Get, get up in the air, but also we can go back and reform many of the things that you and I care so much about, lifting the rest of the regulations in the individual and small group market that are making insurance just ridiculous, mm-hmm. unaffordable, too intrusive, too much Washington knows best, But and of course changing the Medicaid rules as well. But we need to get this done. And if we don't, we will not have majorities again for further improvement in the health care situation. I, I totally agree with that. They have you to know, get it done. You know, it reminds me of Reagan. Remember back in 1981, Reagan wanted a 10% tax cut. He couldn't get it, so he said, I'm taking 5%, I'm declaring victory, and I'm going to return to fight another day. Exactly. Right, right. Half of victory is better than no victory. Right. You know, it's <clears throat> with with regard to what the the uh, six senators who who are um, absolutely afraid of their shadow regarding Medicaid is concerned. Why why is it that we do such a bad job of fighting back or messaging that that uh, that we allow the the um, left to dictate the terms of of the debate. Why can't I wish I knew? It is so disturbing to see these ads, which are total lies. Hal, total lies. You know, the House bill, for example, has a provision that anyone who is currently on Medicaid is grandfathered in, and yet you see the headlines everywhere. Twenty-three million people will lose coverage under any repeal bill. It's a total lie. It is a lie, and and it's not that they're going to lose. Co- you see, the CBO is is incapable of making predictions about what will happen. They can only make fiscal predictions based on what 
laws are going to pass or are being proposed. They can't they can't make predictions about what will happen. They're bad prognosticators. They thought that at this point there would be 24 million people on Obamacare. Right. They were off by 100% in enrollment and 50% in Medicaid costs. Right. That's right. So, so that's, that, should be, that should be something that these people hammer home every single day. Right. And furthermore... In the CBO report, the Congressional Budget Office report that all these lawmakers seem to cling to, right? Yes. As if it were truth, and it isn't. The Congressional Budget Office said that several million people would choose, not lose, Hal, choose, it's a different word. They would choose not to buy coverage once the individual mandate is is repealed that's called freedom <laughs> it is and and you know they they um what they should be really doing is explaining how when states control medicaid how it actually works for the patients when they don't control medicaid that their health care is worse than than as if they didn't have any insurance because in a state like indiana which has done tremendously well giving patients the the ability to um, decide who their doctors are going to be and where they're going to go to get their care when they're on Medicaid and manage those dollars versus a state like California, which which, which is um, going bankrupt because of its Medi-Cal program. And that's, and that's what I'd like to see happen. Absolutely. It is so important to return these decisions to the states to get as close to the doctor and patient as possible. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so, you know, we're, we're going to um, um, sadly run out of time because you have other commitments and I appreciate you being here for half the show. So I want to ask you the question, Betsy McCoy, what if, what happens, how do you see healthcare going if the um, Senate fails to pass the skinny bill and we move forward with the status quo as it is right now? Well, I'm very concerned. I'm worried. Uh, And one reason I'm worried is that we're reaching a tipping point in our country. The federal government now pays 49% of the health bills, 49%. And when we get over 50%, there is no viable private market anymore because not to get too technical, but as you well know, Hal, you're such an expert yourself. When Medicare or Medicaid, these big federal programs, insure people, they shortchange the hospitals and doctors. Medicaid pays about 86 to 88 cents for every dollar of care delivered. And hospitals and doctors take that inadequate payment but to keep their doors open, they then shift the rest of the cost over to the private insured patients. And so already nearly $2,000 of every family premium are, are not going to your care at all. It's going to Medicaid. It's going to make up for that cost shifting. And the more the federal government's role expands, the less likely it is that people will buy private insurance or be able to afford their care because on their backs will be all of this extra cost from the shortchanging. You know, right now Medicaid, it's paid for twice. Taxpayers pay for it, but premium payers pay for it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if the Senate fails to act and we 
are going to um, not have any kind of reform, but we still have Obamacare on the books. How, how do um, insurance companies respond? Well, they've already said their their premiums are going to go way up, 50% this coming year in Maryland, Virginia, Connecticut. Uh, many, many have pulled out of the marketplace. I don't have any sympathy for the insurance companies, Hal, I have to tell you, because the first time around when the government tried to take over health care, they were with us. The second time, they sat down at the table with the president thinking, they want. They were so greedy, they wanted the federal government to pass a law forcing everybody in the country to buy their product. Mm-hmm. So they've lost $3 billion a year on this, and they're getting what they deserve. No, actually, they aren't losing money. I have to, I have to tell you, I've written about this. Um, take United Healthcare, which, yeah. which <clears throat> claims that they've lost $2 billion on Obamacare. They made $16.5 billion in 2015. That was record profits for them. Record profits. And that's because they, the other changes in Obamacare enabled them to make more money on health care insurance. Oh, that's very important. That's very important. I want to read that article. I hope you'll send it to me. Oh, I will definitely do that. You're so perceptive. And so so the, the insurance companies have a... Um, they they have a, a way of doing business which is basically called um, purging, and they take away the um, unprofitable books of business, for, and they just stop uh, writing insurance policies for that particular segment of their business. They did it um, in the past with the individual market um, in in some states. Now they're doing it with Obamacare exchanges. But mm-hmm. all the rest of their book of business is is more profitable than they ever could have imagined, and and their profits are record, and their uh, their executive compensation is is obscene, and right. uh, and so so the insurance. I, I also have no sympathy for the insurance companies. <laughs> they are they they are basically uh, you know we know what they they are, um, but you know my my concern is that on the path. If we stay on this path, that um, this is going to implode, which is what a lot of people thought Obamacare was all about. That was really the underlying intent, so that at some point when it becomes so intolerable, we get to a single payer. Yes. And And uh, anybody who wants to get a glimpse of that should look at what's happening in the United Kingdom right now. Charlie Gard, right? Well, Charlie Gard, a terrible, pathetic example, but also much more broadly, it's in the front pages of the British papers every day. My family lives there, so I see it, that uh, they're rationing care so dramatically in Surrey and Sussex uh, that people are no longer able to get heart care, for example. They're put on long waiting lists. You can't be put on a waiting list for months and months when you need angioplasty. No. And, and, and the people in this country are they they you know this is again such a complex issue that that they're unable to connect the dots that's that that kind of health care is is something that they just don't think is possible in this country but if you just go right across our border 
that you're you're seeing this oh yes you're seeing this happen and who suffers the most how the elderly. the elderly in the uk mm-hmm. what's being rationed hips knees angioplasty and cataract surgery uh-huh. it's all what the elderly need and screening and they don't yes. they don't get the kinds of screens you know sure. the uk has the lowest cancer survival rates in western europe and our good friend you know sally pipes tells a story about her own mother who had colon cancer and yes, did not and did not get screened. Yes. And uh you know it's it's really uh you know this is the unintended consequences of when the government gets mixed up in health care. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what um I know that you've got a lot on your plate today Betsy and and uh Well, this was the highlight how your oh. show is as I said at the very beginning such a public service. Well, you know, I, I can't thank you enough. Our show is successful because of guests like you. So keep up the good work. Keep writing. Keep up the fight for, uh, you know, trying to do what's right for patients around the country. And I appreciate you being here, Betsy, and I hope to have you back on uh, very, very soon. soon. Okay. Thanks again. Stay with us. We'll be back in the doctor's lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Thanks for staying with us in the Doctor's Lounge. We, uh, in our first two segments today, had uh, Betsy McCoy with us, who uh, is one of the uh, uh, strong voices that are fighting for health care in this country. She uh, is terrific, and I hope that you enjoyed uh, listening to her. She she, um, brought up a point that I think is important to uh, talk about, which is that Obamacare really is uh, um, a conglomeration of different laws. It's not really one, one law at all. In fact, that's one of the criticisms of what Obamacare was when it first was created, that it was like a Rube Goldberg kind of concoction that didn't really fit together but was just cobbled together in, in with no real um, a coherent uh, um, form to it. It was just put together 
because a lot of different ideas, one of which was the Medicaid expansion. Another one, as uh, Betsy McCoy pointed out, was the uh, real um, uh, insurance industry shakeup. But as we discussed, it was um, only in in that it gave the insurance companies the ability to make more money than ever before. Uh, it created these exchanges, which were kn- known by the insurance companies that w- they were going to be lost leaders. This is why the uh, insurance companies required subsidies for these insurance products. The government subsidized patients to purchase it, and they gave the insurance companies money to keep running it. So, so there was a lot of money being pumped into this, but you know, healthcare insurance is like no other insurance, as we've said time and time again. It's the only um, the only insurance product where you're encouraged to actually use it um, versus auto insurance or life insurance or homeowner's insurance. And so people have to, you, you have to expect that if you're going to be spending money on everything in healthcare, that there's no way that you can keep up with that in a, in an insurance model when there's when there's no skin in the game by patients. And so it was ridiculous to believe that you can prop this up, but the insurance companies knew this and they they uh, went along with it so that they could make record profits in other parts of their insurance healthcare insurance portfolio and they've done a great job of doing that and finally backed out of the Obamacare markets and uh and blamed the uh Trump administration <laughs> of all things for its collapse when all but one of the uh state insur- uh federal state insurance exchanges um filed for Chapter 11 or closed entirely under the Obama administration. So this was doomed to fail right from the beginning without the government spending just gobs of money to prop it up. But the third part of this of this uh, law was uh, a regulatory uh, um uh, shift. It was it was um, more government regulation over healthcare. And just to remind everybody what some of those regulations were, it regulated doctors. It stopped doctors from opening up hospitals or surgery centers in an attempt to shift care into the hospitals, which were being created as the power brokers of healthcare. While the um, Federal Trade Commission ignored the the fact that hospitals were um, they were uh, coalescing, they were uh, they were um, gobbling up smaller hospitals and becoming bigger and bigger and consolidating, so that they could become more powerful. And uh, this was in an attempt to create the accountable care organization so that the government and the hospital partnership could work together in sync. Um, More regulation. Other regulation to to, uh, oversee what physicians did in their offices every day. They uh, were going to put teeth behind Obamacare, 
by passing a macro law, which um, we talked about in the first segment, which um, has different parts to it, but it incorporates um, the the uh, computer systems that doctors have to use. It is uh, basically a uh, a way that uh, doctors have to report their outcomes to show that there is uh, quality reporting and the reimbursement for care that the doctors give would be um, would be uh, based on hitting certain metrics, certain benchmarks that were uh, prescribed by this law by bureaucrats. There is um, in the regulatory uh, um, uh, part of Obamacare. There's the the uh, IPAB, which our good friend uh, of of the show and of the uh, Doctor Patient Care Foundation, Grace Marie Turner, wrote in the Wall Street Journal just a couple of days ago. There, the um, the IPAB, just to refresh everybody's memory, stands for the Independent Payment Advisory Board. And this is, you heard Betsy McCoy um, in the last segment talk about single payer and rationing of care in, uh, in England. We heard about Sarah Palin in the past talk about death panels. Well, the IPAB is essentially that. It's a death panel. Now, I don't mean that they go- they're going to uh, decide life and death issues, but what I do mean is that the IPAB is a, uh, a group of bureaucrats with no um, uh, legislative or judicial oversight. They are an independent body that Obamacare created that would decide what Medicare pays for what they don't pay for. If this group decides, for example, that they don't want to pay for hip replacements anymore, then then that's how they ration the care. And they may not say that they're not going to pay for hip replacements, but they may say that they're going to reimburse a orthopedic surgeon $500 for doing a hip replacement when they would actually get paid $6,000, let's say, and I just pulled that number out. I don't know what that number is, but that's maybe what their fee would be from a commercial insurer. Well, how many um, Medicare hips do you think an orthopedic surgeon is going to do if the federal government is only reimbursing them $500? So that's what's meant as the death panel, because what this government agency, this government bureaucracy is doing is they are deciding what they, how they will um, allocate money, who will get it, who won't, who will live, who will die. So in in a more serious matter, who is going to be able to get an angioplasty for for blocked arteries, which could be life saving? If the if they will only pay a, an invasive cardiologist two hundred and fifty dollars to do an angioplasty, nobody's going to do it, and that's how they ration care. They're not actually coming out and saying they're not going to pay for it, but by lowering the amount of money that they pay, they are 
in effect doing that rationing and that's what the IPAB was intended to do. It was intended to uh, control Medicare spending so a group of people who aren't even necessarily doctors would sit in a room and they would decide what they're going to pay for, what they're not, how much they're going to pay for it, and essentially who is going to get it. And and so so that is one of the most pernicious, one of the most vile of the regulatory parts of Obamacare. And that um, uh, Grace Marie Turner wrote about in the Wall Street Journal just a couple of days ago. And uh, and she and, and there's a uh, this will go into effect in 2018. And once it goes into effect. The only way that it could get repealed is with a two-thirds majority in both houses in Congress. And we know how difficult that is. We can't even get, we can't even get a majority of senators to agree that they're going to talk about health care. Imagine trying to get a part of Obamacare, trying to get any Democrats to agree that they're going to repeal a part of their sacred Obamacare, it's just not going to happen. So so Grace Marie uh, Turner wrote that uh, the uh, clock is quickly ticking. And, uh, and so um, President Trump has an opportunity to uh, write an executive order, first of all, about this. But the, um, the, the Congress uh, needs to act on this right away. Um, before the House goes into recess, Senate will go into recess at the end of August, but the House has to act on this right away. And um, that's that's uh, something that that uh, nobody is talking about because again, this is so difficult, so convoluted, so so uh, uh, really, under the radar for most people in this country, they're more concerned about talking about how taking away uh, or repealing Obamacare is going to mean that uh, uh, 26 million people are going to lose their insurance. And Betsy McCoy brought that up um, when we had her on earlier in the show. And that's just, again, one of the uh, lies about uh, demagoguing any change to Obamacare. You have to understand that this is the only piece of legislation that Obama passed under his administration that really um, is is still in effect, that has any... Um, uh, Reach in any kind of uh, any kind of cachet. Um, when this is gone, the Obama presidency will have uh, produced absolutely nothing, and so the Democrats are are hanging on to this um, for that reason. They're also hanging on to it because they hope to get to the single payer, and this was that next step in single payer health care. Without this. If this gets repealed, it's a major step backwards in that march towards single payer. And uh, as I have uh, um, said on this show many, many times, what we really uh, need to do is we need to uh, not necessarily change health care in its entirety. We don't need to have 
the Republicans telling us what their version of health care needs to look like because regardless of who is in charge of health care, whether it's Democrats, whether it's Republicans, when the government gets involved in it, there is going to be unintended consequences and they're not going to be good. People need to be in charge of their own health care. And in order for that to happen, the federal government needs to get out of the way and they need to be able to uh, um, uh, open up what I like to call a express lane on the health care superhighway and let people have the opportunity to get what they want, what they need, let creators, entrepreneurs, innovators come up with solutions for alternatives to the standard way that we're receiving our health care right now. And those people are out there. I'm one of those people. But we can't do this unless we get the protection from the government to get out of the way and let us do this. So we're going to finish up the show and talk about what the mess in Washington when we get back into the last segment on the doctor's lounge. So stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. We're in our last segment in uh, of the show. We had Betsy McCoy, uh, former lieutenant governor in New York and uh, syndicated columnist for the New York Post who writes exclusively on health care uh, and political matters involving health care and uh and we talked about uh, some of the uh, uh, pitfalls of of uh, and and the unintended consequences of uh, what the doctors are facing when, because of the overregulation in healthcare. And now we have an opportunity to uh, to roll that back and to return healthcare back to patients and give them the opportunity to. Uh, decide 
what kind of health insurance they want. We're not talking even about health care in this health care debate that is raging in Washington and that we're listening to on the radio and TV every day and we are reading about in the newspaper. I'm enjoying actually reading about health care again in the Wall Street Journal. They are writing about it every day because it's front and center. It's occupying all the uh, space that's not Russia. Um so uh, we we are talking about it again, and rightfully so. We need to be talking about it. But the the people who um, run this country, our our leaders in the Senate, are uh, are a bunch of uh, dysfunctional uh, children who can't get together and uh, talk about what's important. And I'm gonna I'm gonna invite our. Uh, uh, producer David Moxley into this conversation and and get some of his opinions about what he is seeing because you know I'm as a physician I I am watching this and seeing that these people have no business actually even talking about health care, let alone deciding on what kind of care we're going to get or what kind of insurance we're going to get. They don't know anything about health care. But David is a, you know, he's not a doctor. He is a, just a, a, a uh, average American, just like uh, most of you out there who is affected by this. And so, David, how, how do you... Um, how, how do you see what's happening with health care and this uh, mess in Washington? As we talked before, Al, I, my biggest concern is education and the public being educated. And I see that, that uh, the politicians are not educated. Uh, even and, and I'm surprised at the number of doctors that are in the Senate and in the House that are not standing up and explaining it to their colleagues and their peers like they should be. So uh, in my opinion, it all comes back to education. But what I'm hearing and what I'm certainly feeling as well, I'm getting sick and tired. I mean beyond sick and tired of turning on to watch, quote, unquote, the news getting the news channel's opinions as opposed to the news. But when they do go to the news, you've got everything's an argument. Everything is an argument. I don't hear anything positive. I don't hear that, well, we're going to do this, and tomorrow we're going to be able to pass it. We're going to be able to do something. It's, and, and people are getting frustrated. And they're frustrated at Republicans. They're frustrated at Democrats. They're just, you know, I'm tired of listening to an argument that's going nowhere. You know, what we what you're saying is almost like a married couple who have irreconcilable differences. Mm-hmm. And they could never really um, bridge that gap without a marriage counselor, let's say. Um, so, because one side can't hear, one party can't hear what the other one is saying because they're constantly thinking of the next thing that they're going to say that is going to be a, a gotcha or a complaint or some kind of grievance. And what they really, I think what Congress really needs is a marriage counselor. They need somebody to be in between, a mediator, so that they can they can talk about what the real problems are. Don't you think? 
I think that's a, a very good analogy. I think that uh, what I see and get frustrated at as well is the fact that they all seem to have their opinion and know what's best for you and what's best for me. Mm-hmm. They don't have a clue what's best for me. The, the problem, one of the problems, is so many, but one of the problems that, as I see it, is that the left are mostly on the same page when it comes to certain things, healthcare being one of them. And that's because they all believe in bigger government. They believe that they, um, that the government should be taking care of people. They believe that health care is a right. There's many people who are on the, on, the, on, on the right that believe that health care is a right as well, but that's a different conversation. But they view American health care as a problem. They see American health care in the context of the whole world and say, why are we different than everybody else? We should give health care to everybody and the government should be in charge of it. And the Republicans should be saying, yes, we are different than everybody else. That's what makes American health care better than any other health care. They should be defending it and they should have the data to back it up. Instead, they allow the left to define the terms of the debate and they are constantly on the defense instead of being on the offense. Betsy McCoy said it. They're afraid that they're going to be portrayed as taking health care away from the disabled and the and the, the uh and the small children. They're afraid that of what the CBO is saying that their law is going to kick people off of health care insurance instead of defending American medicine, American health care, that it's about choice it's about quality it's about giving people opportunity not providing but giving them the opportunity the real problem that nobody has addressed nobody is the high cost of health care we would not be even but what could bring that down in a second what can bring it down i can tell you right now what can bring it down Making, getting rid of the insurance companies, getting rid of the laws that prevent competition in this country, opening it up to the free market. Gee, where, have I ever heard of a country that was built and made its fortune on capitalism? Capitalism is bad. Don't you know that? We're, we're a bad country. We 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 have to have free equal, trade. We have to have equal. What are you outcomes. sitting there saying? You want to be the only pediatric urologist in Atlanta, Georgia? I happen to be the only pediatric urologist. My group is so. So that's a bad argument. But you know what? I I think that we we are hearing that um, you know healthcare is again. Um, it, it, well, the big this is this is the the crux of the matter. The crux of the matter is. That the healthcare is a three point three trillion dollar annual economy, and um, we talk. Donald Trump talks about the deep state, about the swamp. It exists in most industries in this country. Healthcare being one of them, and healthcare is the crux of everything because everybody needs healthcare. At three point three trillion dollars. 
That's very, very attractive for the special interests. And who are the special interests? The insurance companies, the hospitals, the government is a special interest. Don't, the pharma- don't about pharmaceuticals. The pharmaceutical companies, the healthcare IT industry, which has been propelled into a position of 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 importance by the um, the high tech law and by Obamacare, and so these special interests are making so much money out of healthcare on the backs of patients and doctors that they are um, they are unwilling to. First of all, they are spending lots of money uh, spreading it around in Washington and state capitals to try to continue um, to maintain their their power, maintain their base. They don't want to give up what they've already gotten. All that we need to see happen is, again, opening up a pathway for people to get what they need so that they can purchase the kind of insurance that they want, see the doctor who they want, where they want to see them, decide what kind of care they're going to get, but they've got to be responsible for it. But if healthcare was less expensive because it was more competition, you could get an MRI scan in a place for four hundred dollars instead of in a hospital for for twenty five hundred dollars. We wouldn't be talking about the need to for everybody to have healthcare insurance that was comprehensive that would cover everything because they're afraid that any kind of healthcare they get they can't afford. If people only knew, you hit on a subject that I'm aware of, an MRI, MRA, whatever, that you go to what you think is an independent, freestanding thing, come to find out it's owned by Northside Hospital. Yes. It's been bought out. Yes. And it, this is, you know, what it's coming to. I'll leave you with a very scary thought. If, if the government starts running everything, and I've been a big proponent of, for years that the clowns in Congress that have not served in the military shouldn't be dictating military policy. Policy. So if if we keep going at the rate we are with the health care situation, I'm assigning Maxine Waters and Pelosi to be your caretakers, (laughs) and they'll be coming into your room in the hospital to take care of you. Well, I think that what has to happen is that uh, the the I hope that the, I wish that this could happen that there could be an executive order that the president says that members of Congress no longer get their rich health care benefits Love it. that yes. they are subject to the same health care that they are relegating every American to if that were to happen this would be fixed tomorrow. And that is the problem. They are disconnected from the rest of what the country has to put up with, what they dictate um, as, as um, you know, the way it has to be. Is that before or after pigs fly? <laughs> oh, you're such a pessimist. <laughs> well, I think, you know, if, if we don't, if we don't uh, you know, change something, um, uh, I think that this show will probably go off the air pretty soon because we can't fight for our health care freedom anymore because the government will tell you who your doctor is going to be and what kind of care you're going to get. So thanks for being with us in this uh, segment, this episode of the Doctor's Lounge, and uh, please join us next week with uh, our our host, uh, Mike, Mike K. Thanks. 
state. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.